Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in today. I'm very excited about our topic and very excited about our guest. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Zeitz, and he is the co-founder of the SDG, or Sustainable Development Goals Compax. He is a physician and epidemiologist, and he has a fascinating background. He has done some of the most tremendous work on a global scale that, that we've come across in any of our guests, and I'm thrilled to have him on. He's got a brand new book out that I highly recommend. It's called Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak Truth and Be Bold. And I'm so thrilled to welcome you to Go Green Radio, Dr. Zeitz. Thanks for being on with us. Thanks, Jill. It's great to be here with you and your listeners. Well, I was very excited about the book. I, I It's a searing memoir, and I, I just couldn't put it down. It was tremendous, and I highly recommend it. But since we are Go Green Radio, I, I want to kind of start where the book kind of ends, and that is your involvement with the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. And I want to hear from you, um, you know, what it was about that, uh, that body of work that motivated you to get involved. Thanks, Jill. The world came together in September of 2015 and in December of 2015 to agree upon two agreements, the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Accord. Together, these two were agreements or breakthroughs for humanity in that we set time-bound and measurable goals that are to be completed by 2030 and 2050, respectively. And I've, I've been involved in global public health and combating AIDS and other diseases. And what we've learned from, to, when we go to scale with global programs is that when you have time-bound and measurable commitments, that is what can drive transformative action. And so the, the sustainable development goals are the first time in human history that we have a globally agreed framework that all governments agree to, the private sector, civil society, faith-based groups are all aligning around these goals that include ending poverty, ending hunger, protecting the planet, good governance. So they really are a manifestation of a framework for social, economic, environmental, racial, and gender justice. And that is why I decided to dedicate my life to doing everything I can to make these goals achieved by 2030. I love it. And, you know, I, I, in reading Waging Justice, you know, I, if I hadn't known beforehand that this was going to end up being your life's work, I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that you would end up in this sphere. Not because, you know, you aren't a, a big thinker and a, and a change agent, but because you did do so much work in, in public health. Um, talk to us about how you know, your journey in international public health seemed to parlay perfectly into working on the sustainable development goals that the UN set forth. Yeah, thank you. That's an inter- interesting question. So I started off in, as a physician, then I went into public health and global public health, and I began my work on polio eradication and immunization programs uh, to combat uh, childhood preventable diseases. At the time when I, in the 90s, when I started my professional career, 
37,000 children were dying every day from preventable causes. So I thought that would be a good life's work to focus mm-hmm. on that. As my career evolved, I ended up moving to sub-Saharan Africa and got involved in the AIDS pandemic. And actually, I was there in the late 90s, and we did the first studies, which I describe in the book, finding out that one out of five uh, uh, adults were going to be dead from AIDS if we didn't do anything about it. That was a massive burden on the society, on families, and uh, we uh, were able to mount an effective response to HIV-AIDS to really tame the epidemic. Mm-hmm. And that work is still going on today. But what I learned was it's, it is a virus. It is transmitted person to person. But the drivers of disease were economic injustice, gender injustice, and racial injustice. We had the access to the medicines up here in the global north where those people in Africa were, not, were being left to die. And that injustice was what drove me into finding solutions and working with a movement of stakeholders to really combat the problem. And we worked across the political aisle. We worked in a bipartisan way. And so as I evolved in my thinking and my realization that we can solve an HIV-AIDS crisis, but we still have entrenched poverty, entrenched hunger, we have rising, we have a climate emergency, and uh, we need to deploy all of those capacities, that movement building, that bipartisan approach, that bold and transformative approach to solve the current crises that the world is facing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to put an exclamation point around that. That's well said. Now, you joined the Obama administration, I believe, in 2014 to support the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Agreement. I'd love for you to share with our listeners, um, you know, some of the, the work that you did around that time. What exactly does the Director of Data Revolution for Sustainable Development at the U.S. Department of State do? What, what was your task? Thank you. Yeah, the Obama administration decided to mobilize the full capacities of the U.S. government and our American society in the design and then the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals Agreement. So I was blessed to enter the government when that was starting to happen, and there were, uh, there were White House-led uh, policy uh, meetings that were defining the U.S position going into the negotiation of the Sustainable Development Goals. What were the goals? How would we measure them? How could we actually achieve them? So there was deep work and deep thinking across the entire federal government. It was amazing, honestly. I hadn't seen anything like that before in my life. And so while the agreement was being negotiated, the U.S. government was trying to figure out, well, what, we, what can we do as a government and as an American community how can we contribute to achieving the goals? And so we recognize that we're living in this era of the data and information revolution. The iPhone, for example, has only been around for 11 years now. It was introduced in 2007, but it's transforming all of our lives, the mm-hmm. smartphone technology. And so the question was, how can we harness the, the future of data and technology, the blockchain revolution, the artificial intelligence revolution, How can we deploy all of those uh, breakthroughs in technology towards achieving sustainable development 
and actually achieving the ambitious goals of the Paris Climate Treaty. So I led a small team that worked at the State Department, and we had an interagency working group across the federal government developing strategies for harnessing the data revolution to have a faster, bolder impact. Wow, that sounds that sounds thrilling. What a what an amazing time that must have been. I can't imagine. Um, you know, I I suspect that some of our listeners are unfamiliar with the seventeen sustainable development goals, um, and I I'd really like to expose those to our listeners so that they know where to find them, they know what they're about, and I'd love for you to take some time talk with us about those goals and and some of the things that are being done to help the world reach those amazing goals. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, the Sustainable Development Goals emerged from a prior global experiment. From 2000 to 2015, there was something called the Millennium Development Goals, or the MDGs, and they focused mainly on social development. Uh, they focused on education for all, having poverty, and there were three health goals, including combating the AIDS epidemic. So these are global agreements that happen at the UN. And, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about what the benefit of a UN piece of paper that makes these commitments. But as I was in the heyday of global AIDS advocacy, I really saw that when a government agrees to a goal at that level, it is a lever of accountability for civil society in that country and for stakeholders internationally to hold governments accountable for bold and transformative action. So in 2013, I realized that this original Millennium Development Goal framework was going to be ending in 2015, and the world was going to be working on the next framework. So I started working and figuring out like what was not happening in the MDG era that we could try to make happen in the SDG era, the Sustainable Development Goal era. And what we, so what emerged with the Sustainable Development Goals is that it went beyond the uh, social development, and it, it includes all social development aspects, but it includes all the aspects of economic development and environmental uh, issues, as well as peace and security. So, for example, the first goal is ending poverty, and the second goal is ending hunger, and the third goal is health for all. The fourth goal is uh, gender equality. The fifth goal is clean water for all. And there's goals that are focused on sustainable cities, on uh, protecting the oceans, protecting the land. Climate action is goal 13. Goal 16 is a breakthrough goal because it focuses on good governance, peace and security. And goal 17 is really about doing it in partnerships. And so the other major uh, distinction about the sustainable development goals is that they were applied globally. So the Millennium Development Goals were really a framework from rich countries for what poorer countries have to do. But in the Sustainable Development Goals, there was a big shift, which is that these goals apply to everyone everywhere. And so we are now seeing cities around the U.S. and Europe and Asia, as well as Africa, Latin America, and other part, and really everywhere in the world are looking at how the goals can be advanced in their geographies. So the, an example of how this is working, poverty. Um, we know that poverty is, doesn't exist everywhere. We can geographically identify where the pockets of poverty are 
and rapidly deploy programming to help lift people out of poverty. There are effective strategies for cash transfer, for giving people technology, jobs, and education that can help lift a community from an impoverished state into an emerging middle-class state. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that globally. There's an emerging middle class throughout the world. Africa is on the rise. The India, there's a massive uh, transformation of that entire society where mm-hmm. there were very rich and, and majority very, very poor. Now there's very rich, but there's a very large emerging middle class. Right, now, and I know this, that that's happening yeah. in China as well. Um, China you know, as we've well, seen, right. yeah, we've seen you know millions lifted out of poverty. That's pretty remarkable. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Dr. Paul Zeitz, author of a brand new book called Waging Justice. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could all join us. And in case you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Zeitz, and he is the author of a brand new book that you're just going to love. It's called Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak Truth and Be Bold. Now, Dr. Zeitz, you're the co-founder of an organization called the SDG Compacts, which SDG is Sustainable Development Goals. I would love for you to share uh, with our listeners, uh, talk to us about that organization, talk to about the mission and the work that you're undertaking with that organization. 
Thanks, Jill. In the last segment, we talked about the global agreements, the Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Accord. The reality is that people uh, are living and working in cities and towns. And so the SDG Compact's uh, movement that we're building is designed to really mobilize stakeholders where they live and work, to take on activities and action that they can uh, do to realize these very bold and transformational goals of ending poverty and addressing the climate emergency. And I say those two things together on purpose because I think while many of your listeners are committed to the climate crisis, and I'm with them a thousand percent, we also have to recognize that inequality, inequity, and inclusion are critical elements of actually succeeding in combating the climate crisis. So as an example, in uh, San Jose, California, where I am right now, we are designing with civil society groups, Mothers Out Front, and other groups, a, what we're calling a race for climate smart sustainable development as a way to mobilize the neighborhoods, the schools, the churches, the religious groups, the civic groups to take on new behavior that is cli- uh, climate smart. So that means reducing energy consumption, changing the light bulbs to lead light bulbs, uh, moving forward with public, uh, taking more and more public transportation. Uh, it re- includes reducing water consumption and reducing vehicle miles traveled. So we're creating an, uh, an operational m- movement that can engage the entire community. And so while these lofty goals were agreed to in New York at the global level or in Paris at the Paris level, and there's a lot of work going on to drive them at that level, we're really focusing on a bottom-up movement that really can get community-wide impact. I love that. I love that approach. Two things that really strike me about this is that, you know, you've taken climate issues – you know, out of a silo. Um, you know, for so long, there were environmental activists that were primarily focused on environmental protection issues and things like that, but they were often, uh, you know, somewhat separate from the faith community and the environmental justice and social justice movement. What you're talking about is a holistic approach to these issues, which I think is the only winning strategy. And the other thing that I love about this is that it's it's at the local level, which is where people will be feeling the impact of climate change and, it, and where they live with the, the suffering that's associated with the inequities that we're talking about. It's at the street level, right where we live. And so I love that approach. I think that's really exciting. And I can't wait to see more and more case studies of success you know, on your website, which, by the way, for our listeners, is www.sdgcompacts.org. Um, I'm, I'm really, really excited by your work. Now, in your bio on the SDG Compacts website, it says that you are, quote, waging justice to ensure achievement of the sustainable goals, SDGs, by 2030. And I, I want to get your, in your own words, your definition of what it means to wage justice, because I find that very fascinating, and I think our listeners will too. So help us wrap our heads around what that means. Thanks, Jill, and I appreciate your enthusiasm for connecting the dots between the various justice movements that are out there, and that is actually one of the things that I'm really advocating for. We have a climate justice movement. We have an economic justice movement. We have folks working on gender equality, and we have the 
anti-gun violence movement. And what I think you said is actually exactly right, which is that if we can connect the dots and create a fusion movement, then we can start winning bigger progress. So I, I hope to bring that idea forward in my, my work uh, with Wage and Justice. So I wrote a memoir. It took, uh, I, uh, people ask me how long it took to write. I say it took my whole life, 56 years. <laughs> Actually, um, I focused on this version of the book, uh, and it's my first debut, debut uh, book uh, for the last two years. And as I tried to, I had to study my life. I had to relive my life twice and try to figure out, like, how do I represent my soul's work? And so Waging Justice uh, emerged as the kind of headline, the banner, but I, there are three values that I've been uh, clarifying, and it, it's articulated in the book throughout. It's about speaking truth, being bold, and serving justice for all, having that view of we're in this together with everyone. And so uh, waging justice is really about speaking truth to yourself about what's going on in your own mind and heart. And it's about speaking truth in your relationships with your loved ones and with your family and your community. And it's about uh, speaking truth about what's going on in the world. It's about really seeing the injustice that's out there and taking hold of that reality. And then seeing the possibility of justice and, and for everyone, everywhere. And I think uh, th- those are the values that I'm discussing and dialoguing with people as I share the story of my book. I felt like we have the technology. We have the wealth. We have the innovative solutions that we can solve these seemingly intractable problems. And what's missing is people's hearts and minds. And so I'm hoping that by sharing my journey and my story, that people can see their own journey, they can see more as possible, that they, by working together, we can actually solve these problems. Well, and I, I, I absolutely love that. And, and Part of what we try to do on Go Green Radio, and I've been doing this for 10 years, yes, we try to illuminate you know, what the environmental problems are. We try to shine a light on solutions. But there's another element to Go Green Radio that you just hit on, and that is learning about what brings people to the table. You know, I, I've been fascinated as I've interviewed people from all walks of life over the last 10 years to find out what it was uh, in their, like you mentioned, in their soul that brings them to work on sustainability issues. And it's very different for everyone. But what I think your book, Waging Justice, does is helps give people a way to say, gosh, look at this person's life. In some ways, it was so unpredictable that you would end up being uh, on the forefront of waging you know, justice on, on these sustainable development goals. Um, and yet... And yet it it did lead perfectly into that work. And I think that it's important for people, whether they're young or old, to be able to see others who've who've blazed a trail towards working on this and see it's, it's a trail for everyone to follow. We can all find our own way to be part of this, whether we are an epidemiologist like you are, or whether we're a, a you know, a, a stay-at-home mom or, or whatever vocation we choose What's more important is how we take those strengths and those character traits um, and job skills and apply it to these very important goals. And I just love the way that you kind of shine a light on your own journey in a way that I think makes it uh, 
very accessible to any potential reader. I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the work that you did um, in the HIV AIDS arena because um, it really highlights your heart and your soul and, and the passion that you're bringing now to the sustainable development goals. Talk to us about some of the experiences you had and some of the incredible people that you met along the way. So thanks, Jill. And I do hope that my story is inspiring to others and that I'm just a regular person that decided to make choices about waging justice in whatever way I could in as I've gone through my journey. And I, agreed with, I agree with you, there is no right or wrong way. It's people have to find their own path and their own journey. And so I was living in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, living in the middle of the AIDS crisis, and uh, I was a technical expert working for the U.S. government and the government of Zambia, and we were doing whatever we were doing. And uh, we knew that the crisis was bad. We had done the first studies showing uh, the impact and then one day I drove up, uh, upon an intersection, and at, at, at that intersection was a Christian aid youth project, a Christian aid youth project. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I, I wept. I had driven by that intersection a million times, but the, on that day I really saw what was in front of me. I saw the injustice. And they were selling coffins. Uh, they were selling uh, adult-sized and children-sized coffins. So I had this like wake-up call that I was actually living in an AIDS holocaust. We were seeing people dropping like flies, and it was completely preventable. And I realized that um, I, in my own way, was being complicit or complacent about trying to solve that problem. And so I became self-radicalized uh, in a way, and I said, I'm not going to try to fit into the norms and the status quo that is allowing this kind of crisis to go unchecked. And so I became, that was when I committed myself to wage injustice. And so when I see injustice now before me, I remember that moment where I made a choice. I made a commitment, the big C word. I committed to wage injustice in whatever way that I could. And that led me into a path where I uh, came up with big and bold ideas. Uh, the, and that not everyone agreed to. So I got in trouble. And I got actually asked to leave the U.S. government when I was there in Zambia because the idea that I had was to, uh, was to mobilize resources to combat the, the battle, to fund the battle against AIDS. And the U.S. government that I had been working for at the time didn't agree to that policy solution. So then I, I switched my role and went to work for the United Nations who did help me advance that agenda. So I was willing to take the risks and not to fit into the normal mold of just staying with the status quo. I talk about in the book how I became a Godzilla against the status quo. People mm -hmm. tend to default into status quo mode. And uh, it, they have jobs, they want security, they have families. And I somehow fought that and made a choice to keep my idealism and to be persistently optimistic in, in the face of circumstances. I love that. And uh, You're so inspiring, yeah. Dr. Zeitz. And I, I really want to remind our, our listeners, you can get a, a big helping of that inspiration by 
grabbing a hold of his brand new book called Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak Truth and Be Bold. And he certainly has. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Dr. Zeitz. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. And just in case you've only just joined us, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Dr. Paul Zeitz. He is the author of a brand new book out that I have read cover to cover and loved. It's called Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak Truth and Be Bold. Now, Dr. Zeitz, uh, part of what I read on your sdgcompacts.org website um, is mention of sustainable development games. And I would love for you to talk to us about what that is and how it's being enacted. Thank you, Jill. So I've always been intrigued by the passion that people feel about sports, both playing them and watching them. And I've always wondered whether we could bring that passion into solving the climate crisis and towards achieving the sustainable development goals. So we have uh, developed the, this approach of uh, what we're calling the sustainable development games or like the sustainable development Olympics. And uh, we're 
in San Jose, we're la- we've launched, uh, we're designing the San Jose Race for Climate Smart Sustainable Development. And the idea is to mobilize neighborhoods and businesses and building owners to improve energy efficiency, reduce water consumption, and reduce vehicle miles traveled. And to use data and information to really track progress and to identify best practices and solutions. In District 9 of uh, San Jose, a group of schools are mobilizing a climate cup where they're competing to achieve uh, climate smart uh, uh, environments, both in their school and in their families. And I really think that schools and the next generation are the ones that really have to drive this, uh, mo- this transformation that we're on the cusp of to go to 100% renewable energy. I completely agree with you. There's just one caveat I have, and I, I suspect you'll agree. There are a lot of people talking about the next generation and what they're going to have to do and let's let them lead. Um, and in some cases, the people who are saying that are kind of almost washing their hands of their own responsibility and saying, well, go next generation, go millennials. But I believe that we really need to think about multi-generational solidarity on this because while the young generation is 100% capable of doing great things and leading the charge for what we need to do to become a more sustainable world, they still need the guidance and the wisdom and the support of the older generations. And so I really... I, I like to see generations working together, um, and and I hope that we see a lot of that multi-generational solidarity coming out of this movement towards sustainable development. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, Jill. I am totally aligned with you on the idea of a multi-generational movement and working together uh, between all generations. And I do agree that all of us have something to offer. Um, I'm middle-aged, and uh, even uh, people in their elder years are, are working and fighting for these same goals, and they have experience. And the younger generation, they have some energy and enthusiasm that is inspiring to the older generations. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like a, it's, like a, it's an enabling circle of action. And so we can all work together to make things happen in a faster, bolder way. Sometimes the, you know, the older generations get resigned and cynical and hopeless. And mm-hmm. so in that case, you know, we have to uh, bring that youth energy to uh, reawaken the passion for justice that many people have, but somehow it got tempered with life. Same. And right. so that is why I share my journey also for all generations to sh- see oh, you can make a commitment. You can live a life dedicated to waging justice in ways that work for you. And you have to figure out how to sustain that from youth to old age. Mm, that's a great point. And your book does illuminate that very well. And, and what I love about it, too, is it talks about how you maintain that commitment but that you also, you have to work in community, which means your marriage, your children, your family, um, and, and work collaboratively at the, at the most intimate levels in order to sustain that, that fervor um, and gain their support and, and also support their goals as well. And I love the way you talk about that in the book. You know, the climate 
uh, Global Climate Action Summit is taking place this week in San Francisco. And and I know that you were a part of an affiliate event in San Jose. I, I would just love to get your reflections on the whole event and what you hope will be accomplished by this Global Climate Action Summit. Thank you, Jill. Uh, the Global Climate Action Summit is happening at a watershed moment. Um, in the United States and globally. The Paris Agreement was agreed to in 2015. And then, of course, we know that President Trump was elected in 2016, and one of his first actions was to withdraw the United States government uh, from the Paris Climate Accord. So there was a big global uh, concern that the whole agreement would collapse. And uh, in, what happened in response to that action by the federal government was actually the complete opposite. We've seen 4,000, uh, I'm sorry, 407 cities and local governments in the United States, that's cities and townships and counties, that have committed to the Paris Climate Accord. Another 33,500 companies and civil society groups in the United States have committed to implementing the Paris Climate Accord. And actually, so what's happened is that there's been this kind of boomerang effect, which is actually accelerating progress faster than it probably would have gone any, uh, if Trump had not pulled out. It's a mm-hmm. paradox. And <laughs> similarly, around the world, everyone around the world goes, we can't depend on American leadership. We have to do it on our own. And so the momentum for action around uh, bold and transformative action to address the climate emergency is accelerating. The, the summit this week in California, I believe, is a watershed moment where people are now convinced that we have the solutions to actually combat the crisis. And we can transition to 100% renewable. We can transition to electric vehicles. We can transition to uh, new ways of living and being that is in healthy balance with Earth. And now we have to take the small-scale programs that are proving that and bring that to scale. So this is a watershed summit, I hope, And it also comes at an important time politically when we're on the cusp of the midterm elections and we're going to be moving right into the 2020 election cycle. And so I think voting for climate, voting for leaders that are going to address the climate emergency is a critical opportunity for your listeners and for all of us who care about protecting the planet for our children and for future generations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that um, I want to kind of bounce back to you know, when we were talking about what you're working on with the SDG compacts and the, the local flavor of it um, and, and creating communities that are dedicated to the SDGs, um, it goes to the voting issue as well. You know, it's pretty easy to find out on, on national candidates' websites where they fall on environmental issues. But I think it's critically important for voters to show up at candidate forums for local officials as well and find out what are you going to do to keep our local water supply clean? What are you going to do to make our local energy uh, you know, portfolio greener and more renewable? And, you know, I'm really hoping to see more of those discussions filter down to the local level because, quite frankly, you know, mayors and city council members and water board members and, and what have you, they have so much influence over our local climate uh, 
you know, solutions. And there really isn't as much focus on finding out what those candidates are willing to do or if they even know what to do. Um, and, and I'm wondering if you have advice for voters as we come upon the midterm elections to to it, to become educated or to find out what local people they should be electing um, who are committed to climate solutions. Yeah, thanks, Joe. I think that uh, a focus on community choice for clean energy is really one of the most powerful uh, first step priorities. So the utilities are governed by local policy and local regulations. And so if there's a policy made that the community has the choice to pick 100% renewable uh, as a requirement, then that changes the whole dynamic about how energy is distributed in your community. So in uh, the city of San Jose just announced their clean energy program, which allows consumers to choose clean energy. And so they're the largest city in the United States, and only about 20% of Californians have access to this kind of consumer choice. So I think uh, around the country, if there could be a movement demanding consumer choice for clean energy, uh, I believe that we would see a big, rapid shift towards 100% renewable to accelerate that transition. And the faster we go, the faster it happens. And once we start moving fast, then even more things happen faster. Right. Well, and with energy, you know, I mean, and these, you know, renewable energy technologies, the more, it's very simple supply and demand, the more, you know, the, uh, those are purchased and the more they're put in, the lower the price becomes and the more accessible it becomes. Um, I heard a speaker from uh, a movement called, you know, Energy Democracy, and she was talking about, you know, helping local communities actually have ownership of their renewable energy solutions so that, you know, they, they got all the benefits, not just, you know, renewable energy, but they actually got to have some ownership of the of the. The, the capital itself that's associated with those energy systems. And I thought that was very interesting. You know, there, right, and so that capital, I think, is really critical for ensuring that the most vulnerable populations, the poorest communities, the disadvantaged communities, also get access to that uh, supply of renewable energy. And they might need subsidies, and they might need incentives to join that movement. And so those extra resources that you described can be used to level the playing field so that everyone can be part of this economic revitalization. Absolutely. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but we have much more coming right around the corner. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. We're talking with Dr. Paul Zeitz, and he has got a brand new book out that I highly recommend. It's called Waging Justice, A Doctor's Journey to Speak Truth and Be Bold. And you will not be able to put it down once you pick it up. So I encourage you all to get out there and get a hold of it. You know, Dr. Zeitz, a lot of our listeners are college students and young adults who are just beginning to find their voice on issues like environmental and social social justice, I would love for you to give them some advice. What would your advice be as they try to figure out how they can make the world a better place? Thanks, Jill. That's a great question. And I think I would say if they're committed to the climate uh, justice crisis and addressing the climate emergency, they should look at what's going on on their college campus. Has their college campus taken action is there, is the, have they done a divestiture campaign? Many colleges are divesting from investing in fossil fuel uh, investments. That's number one. Have they transitioned to 100% renewable on campus? Are they doing recycling? Do they have water, uh, save, uh, you know, reducing water consumption programs on the campus? And then they can become politically active. Can they... Uh, make sure that everyone on campus is registered to vote in the 2018 election? Can they get involved in holding the local political leaders accountable for advancing clean energy solutions for the population where they're living and working at school? And if climate doesn't do it for them, work on gender equality, work on poverty, work on, work on any way that works for them. But build, make a commitment to finding ways to wage justice uh, in ways that work for them as they're going through their educational process. 
I love it. And one of the things that I want to underscore, um, if I if I could highlight and underscore and put in bold what you just said um, in in writing, I would say these things that you were talking about on campus. You know, it, it's it's easy to march. It's easy to make a sign. It's easy to sign a petition. It's easy to go to a meeting and take the microphone and say a few words. It is hard rewarding and real to lead a movement to make your campus or your community um, one that recycles, conserves water, invests in in clean energy. I mean, this takes time and patience and commitment that is for the long haul. But what you will learn and what you will achieve is so much greater than doing the little one-off activities and that's for young people and adults as well the day-to-day commitment to be able to say by the time you left your college campus our recycling rates went up by 80 percent because i did this or our campus you know divested from uh fossil fuels because my friends and i did this and it took three years those are the kinds of changes that are real and enduring that I really want young people to get the experience of rolling up their sleeves and staying at the table for the long haul to achieve those things. So I'm glad that you gave them that advice. I think it's awesome. You know, one of the things I was really interested to see on the SDG Compacts website was a toolbox for localizing the sustainable development goals. And I'd love for you to talk to us about that resource and how our listeners can use it to get involved in advancing the SDG in their own community. Thanks, Jill. Yeah, that toolbox is developed uh, actually by the UN system, and what they do is they collect best practices and examples from cities around the world. And that was the other thing that I wanted to mention about SDG Compacts is that we're working with Nairobi, Kenya. We're working with Uppsala, Sweden. We're working with Patiala in Punjab in India. And this is a global solidarity movement of stakeholders who are trying to figure it out. We're the first generation that's really trying to take on the challenge of transitioning to clean energy and also achieving the end of poverty. And so no one knows how to do it. Um, And so this toolbox has a range of tools for you to assess the problem in your environment, identify the solutions that are going to work in your particular environment, and it gives you uh, ways in which to take action together as part of a community of actors and working together with governments, civil society, and the private sector in uh, multi-stakeholder partnerships where everyone joins forces to achieve really bold action. So the toolkit has a lot of information, and um, I think uh, what, you know, building on your last question, I would say start small and just start taking action and, and doing it in solidarity with other people. What you find in working in social justice movements is that you find that there are a lot of people that have the similar passion, but everyone feels alone about it in some way. And when you start working together and you realize that together, even a small group of people can have a big impact when you're together fighting the status quo or you're fighting the naysayers together, then you feel empowered and enlivened and it wakes up this kind of spirit of energy for your soul and you're able to sustain that from for, throughout your whole life. I love it. 
I just love what you've said. I, I want to transcribe everything you just said and blast it out in every social media platform we possibly can. Thank you so much for that wisdom that you shared. Now, I hate to do it, but I have to do it. Uh, I'm going to ask you the People Magazine question. Uh, you've gotten to work with some pretty amazing and inspirational people. You are one of those people, of course, Dr. Zeitz. But tell us what it's like to work with people like Archbishop Desmond Tutu and and. Bono and Alicia Keys, uh, just kind of give us a glimpse of of what it's like to, to work at that level and with those kind of people. Thank you. Alicia Keys is in San Francisco tonight. She's performing at the Global Climate Action Summit, and she is a sweetheart. She has a big heart. She was blessed by God with this incredible voice, and she sees herself as a uh, channel to empower and awaken this uh, movement for justice in everyone. And in some ways, she's just a regular person. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a very sweet-hearted person. And Bono is another guy who is an amazing singer and performer and entertainer. But he made a choice to dedicate a lot of his time and energy towards ending poverty in Africa and globally. And so he didn't have to do that. He could have built another mansion or done another... Uh, boat trip around the Mediterranean. And uh, he decided to use his energy to wage justice for people around the world. And so that's the, that's the distinction about these people. They're blessed mm-hmm. with great gifts, and they're uh, making choices to spend their social capital and their energy for the good of everyone. Archbishop Desmond Tutu is uh, in a class of his own, He's a transcendent being in my experience. He's just so divine and so enlightened, and he's so funny and calm and normal. Uh, he was a very, uh, I, I tell people the story that he was the, one of the early adopters to the iPhone, and I was working with him during that period, and he would respond faster to my text <laughs> messages than my own wife would. He uh, was very responsive, and awesome. he was always willing to be available to speak to journalists and to speak to political leaders and to make the case for waging justice in Africa. And on behalf of of waging justice, I want to remind our listeners one more time to pick up your book, Waging Justice. Dr. Paul Zeitz, thank you for being with us. Thank you to our listeners for being with us. We'll be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.